This is the one with Robot Ood. A plethora of silly hats. And a chap in Voke face. It's called Robots of Death. Here, Here we, we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Thal and Ood and the Cybertronic race. Antarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dog Past. Indeed. <laughs> that lovely voice you heard there. That was mine. That was his. <laughs> that was Leon. Oh, hello. Hello, Leon. Oh, hello. And this lovely voice, if I do say so myself, it's Jim. Hello, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and hello, Podcast Land. It's your usual classic crew in today. Correct, Amundo. And we are here talking about the Robots of Death, C090. Had you seen this before? Had you heard of this before? Had you seen screenshots of this before? Because this is crazy legendary. No, no, yes, apparently. Which one Which one was yes? You'd seen screenshots? Screenshots, yes. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I, I had seen the, the wiki, Wikipedia, I think it was, screenshot uh-huh. of a green robot face. Right. Which, actually, no, it isn't the screenshot Wikipedia, so I must have seen something else. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, green robots. Death. Indeed. I'm pretty sure I'd seen this as a kid, by the way. Ah. Yeah, I I did not remember much about it, but I remembered some of the, like, the tension, the set, the, certainly the robots. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. How beautiful is this serial? So beautiful. The sets, the also like the composite shots of miniatures that have been expanded to be set extensions, you know, and they like they, yeah. they, they superimpose little footage of them walking past what is just clearly like a Lego set. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. The effects team had some fun with this. Oh, absolutely. Shall we get Podcast Land a little bit more up to speed about what the overall package of fun is all about? Oh, dude, you've got a big heart. Yes, that's what we're doing. Time for us to synopsize, lovify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Go for it. The fourth Doctor and new companion Leela materialize aboard a spice miner from June. Inhabited by a handful of spoiled humanoids, sporting elaborate headgear and a veritable army of allegedly harmless robots doing all the heavy lifting. Then, suddenly... When someone in this confined space is bludgeoned and or strangled, our time-travelling twosome is immediately accused of the crime. Entirely unrelated to this, of course, is the fact that the robots are behaving rather strangely. And there's the non-sequitur backstory about the mad robotic scientist who surely can't be hiding on the mining vehicle. And then another person is murdered. And then another. And so it falls upon the Doctor and Leela to inspect the clues and gather the ever-decreasing number of suspects and deduce... Who done it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> B-Scow over. over. You, you are, are welcome. welcome. Oh, God, I wish I had a mustache so I could twirl it. <laughs> this is very Agatha Christie Poirot at points, isn't it? Yeah, super duper. Very much inspired by... And then there were none. With the, the, the confined space, one of the people present clearly did it. I mean, it's just like any Agatha, not any, but most Agatha Christie's that are set in a confined space. Mousetrap. This is very mousetrap. Yeah. 
Instead of a blizzard out there, there's a sandstorm. Actually, f- and then there were none. This is mousetrap. <laughs> Ish. I don't know basically any of the classic references. I, d- I know of mousetrap and I know of Agatha Christie. Cool. I can relate it probably mostly to the film Clue, which <laughs> is a bit of a guilty pleasure. <laughs> It was the robot in the basement with the hyper needle. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ever fully understood what that syringe thing was meant to be able to do. I'm not sure either. I mean, it seemed like it could reprogram stuff. It was referred to by the doctor as some sort of laser, right? Like, it would fire a massive laser, but then they never used it to fire anything. They used it to stab robots. (laughs) Yeah, it was mostly used to stab. (laughs) Yeah, Stab, stab, kill, kill. (laughs) I think actually, not only was it a laser, it was a laser sun or something like that. It yes. Was, it was like, a, there was a brand name on there. Was that a brand? Yeah, exactly. Was that the brand of I, it? I think it possibly was. Like, this is the DeWatt laser. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I'd written it down because I think we'll fill you in a little bit while podcast line. We're just having a moment. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you've seen this episode, hopefully you're keeping up. If not, please go and watch it. Yeah. But D84, who is an important character. Yes. I think quotes what sounds like a kind of slogan and jingle back at the doctor when he talk about, they talk about this laser sun. He does, doesn't he? Hang on. Do you think I can find it? Maybe I can find it. Not the soundbite, but fuck it. I'm not going to look. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. We could have just spent two hours doing that. Yeah. So there are some interesting little things thrown into this serial. Yeah. Like someone decided to do that as a joke. Someone decided to put helium in right at the climax <laughs> so before you showed up at who back when studios this evening i youtubed some of the dvd features on the dvd i have <laughs> which includes interviews with the cast and it was an interview with her name eludes me now but leela louise jameson there you go thank you who said that was a hundred percent real like her voice probably being post-produced a little bit, was in fact super squeaky. Everyone's voice was super squeaky. That's so weird, because it really doesn't sound... No, not at all. Because it sounds like they tried to make it robotic. That's what I thought. Oh, okay. I thought it, I, I just thought it sounded like a Disney mouse. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's stop skipping about. Let's, let's try and put a bit of structure in this, shall we? So, okay. So yeah, we start with this... I think they, they call it a mine, this moving vessel. Yeah. They call it a mine. Not not a mining vehicle, a mine. Have you read Dune? Have you seen Dune? I've seen the film. I've seen a TV adaptation. Oh, they're and, both good. And I played Dune 2, the computer game, oh, back in the... Dune 2 or Dune 2000? Dune 2. Oh, God. I, back in the late 80s or whatever. My God, I'm so hard right now. I loved those. Wait, this is the top-down military... This, this like, is the one that... Conquer. Yeah, the... the before Command and Conquer, exactly. the one that's based... I don't think it was possibly quite the first, but it basically started. Yeah, drama. exactly. It was that and... Oh, oh dude, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, we're going to know that about this. Side geek. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was inspired by that, allegedly. And you can kind of see why. That is what it, it... That's what it is. They're on this desert planet. They have a gigantic mobile mine that's looking for sandstorms to find some sort of mineral deposit in the sand. Yeah. And it looks fantastic. It does. I have a small parenthesis every time I think of it as just, I wish they'd made the model just slightly bigger because it seems like it's tiny. Yeah, it does. And and it just really, really, really looks like a model. <laughs> but they do a very good job. That's another composite example. They do a very good job, I think, of superimposing film footage of the bridge onto the little 
sliver of the model at the top, at the front top of the model, so that as it zooms in on this miniature, it seems as though you're looking in through the window. I think it's not too bad. I think it's it's just problematic because it's they actually have like earth that the drills moving around. Yeah, and and the grains of sand are like yeah. boulders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. If you put things like that have grains like sand or earth yeah or you put water in yeah you're you're boned like it's really hard to make that not look like a model that's true and i don't know i think i think if they had just made it like a smidge larger maybe it actually has to be twice as large for it to get even remotely close but okay it was it was pretty damn impressive yeah this is bbc budget we know they're not flush with the cash (laughs) (laughs) and they do a lot of things in this actually so they've done the models having some fun playing around in the sandpit the sets in general. Yeah, they've built shitloads of sets for this. Tons of sets. I mean, when they materialize aboard this digger, we get to see those giant slats where the sand is meant to blow in. They are inside. Yeah. I mean, you get a pretty good feel of what the architecture, the internal architecture of this digger is, or this mining vehicle is. So they are then effectively in one of these silos that later on we get to see from the other side. You know, when, when the doctor hides in one of them, or not hides, he's locked in one of yeah. them and gets buried. Which I, I'm not sure if that is then actually a location shoot. Oh, do you think so? The, the camera switches, it looks like, I don't know if it's film versus whatever. To, like, is it a different, oh, maybe. different camera type? Versus video. Yeah. The camera placement is very different to how they've been filming in the studio. And the lighting changes. And I, I wasn't sure if they actually took him into a, a grain silo. And Maybe. Oh, you're way more observant than I am. I guess that makes sense. That would be cheaper. Quite probably. I yeah. Don't, I don't know. Just for that one little cliffhanger bit. Yeah, why not? Yeah. They were shooting inside a nuclear power plant yeah. just a few series ago. So. so Someone just pops up and goes, hey, we could uh, pop down the road for, you know, a, a Bob 50. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Terry's in the corner going, oh, I oh. wanted to build that set. <laughs> On top of which, not just beautiful sets, but then costumes. The, oh, the I mean, costumes. I mean, the robots are fantastic to begin with. The headgear, everyone has a different hat slash helmets, whatever, uh, wig, yeah. like a spiky. What What are they? I don't even know what they are. I, I have no idea what they're so elaborate. outfits are about. My, my note on this is, holy flaming outfits, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it felt like that kind of campy... Batman TV series vibe. I don't know. Like, they they could have all... Each individually could have been a Batman villain. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, they all wear what could be the, the just the look of any one single alien race in the Hooniverse. Like, yeah. It, it could very... They could easily just have had everyone wear that, you know, the mohawk fish thing that... Yeah. Uh, What's-her-face wears. Toos. Toos. But no, she's going to be the only one. And then someone else wears a weird cone and someone else has like spikes on his thing. It's incredible. And I, I kind of like that they don't even attempt to explain it. No, what it does, I think, unfortunately, it makes the weird black lines around their eyes and down the bridge of their nose. It makes those seem really cheap because that's really yeah. what makes them, quote, alien. Well, are these aliens? I, I didn't know. If- are they humans with weird lines around their eyes? And down their noses? Yeah. You know what? I don't know. I think I, I did assume it was the Star Trek thing of, well, you've got a slightly different nose. Yeah. You're a different species. <laughs> but now now we think about it, it's like, I don't know if it's ever said if they're alien or... I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> the, the names aren't very what we would recognize. No, but this is but at this some is point in the future. Very, very future. They obviously have 
sentient robots almost. So I looked up when this takes place, and depending on which source you consult, it takes place all over the place, oh. like all over time, including Boucher, who wrote this. I, I didn't note down the actual years, but Boucher, who wrote this, put a different year in the episode than he did in the novelization that he also wrote. Uh-huh. Bing bong, future Leon here with a correction. The novelization of this story, Doctor Who and the Robots of Death, was actually penned by Whovian legend and, by all accounts, really great guy, Terence Dix, Uncle Terence who passed away only recently, not even a fortnight ago, in fact. He wrote a a veritable library's worth of novelizations, as well as many original stories, both for TV and for print. And he was part of the production crew for many years. What a chap. I'm not going to go into his full bibliography here, but do yourselves a favour and check him out on IMDb or on TARDIS Wikia and just marvel at the incredible body of work that this man put out. Rest in peace, Terence. Okay, back to the show. Bing bong. We don't know where it takes place, or when it takes place, or, you know what, we don't know where it takes place either, because it's, depending on where you look, this has appeared in, I think it's a comic book, or maybe a a novel later on, it takes place on a completely different planet. Interesting. That's kind of nice in itself, actually, that it doesn't matter. Yeah, oh, it it doesn't matter. Is is this what we refer to as a bottle episode? Or does it have to be, that's have to be one scene? That's a super good question, I'm not sure this qualifies... I don't, no. I don't think so. I feel like a bottle episode is you're stuck in a room. Yeah, okay. But it's, it's a self-contained one in the sense that you don't care about the where or the when. Correct. Yeah. Every, everything you need to know about this episode is in this episode. You could very easily... Give or take. <laughs> yeah, you could very easily have a new adaptation of this episode aboard a spaceship. And it would be the exact same thing. In fact, we said this before pressing record, there are incredible similarities between this and the Ood appearing in New Who. Yeah. Which, when watching this, I just kept thinking, if I had only known, if I had remembered this, I definitely did not remember enough about this episode to make that connection. But if I'd had this serial fresh in my mind when watching the Ood, I probably would have appreciated the Ood more. Or would you have thought they had ripped this off? I would have... Well, yeah, that's a very good point, isn't it? It's either that or an homage. I'm not yeah. sure. I'm sure we talked about this when we reviewed all the Ood episodes, by the way. I mean, it's Satan Pits. Maybe it's Satan Pits. Impossible Planets, whenever the Ood show up. The, the first one they show up in where they, they literally go red eyes and... Is that Impossible Planet? I, I forget the names of all these things. Quite possibly. One of the things you listed, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, Podcastland, I didn't make the connection to the Ood. But as soon as I saw what what Leon had in his brain, I was like, oh my goodness, so on the nose. They're super subdued. They're very polite and discreet. They turn red-eyed when they go nutso. They're the servants. You feel for them. You absolutely do. And And they're sort of a rebellion-ish. Yeah, it's it's an awakening of of some kind. And they are being awakened by some malevolent force or intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there are a lot of things in there that individually aren't unique to either of these situations. That's as well. true. But pieced all together, they are incredibly similar. Yeah. They're also, they both attack physically. Even though you'd have their little thing, they have yeah, to get electrocute, into... Yeah, whatever. They have to be face-to-face with the person. Like, this this isn't that they rise up and start shooting things. Yeah, that's true. It, it's a more physical close quarters thing. See, I think the physicality of the robots in this classic serial was greatly overestimated. They, they kept saying, oh, they can outrun any man, yet we only see them walking very calmly. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, they're super strong. They could do anything. But then 
we never get to see them lift anything heavy. The robot who has its hand stuck in the door would rather detach its hand than just pull the door open, which you'd assume that it could do. And it takes them forever to kill people. Like, it forever. Does. Yeah. That scene when, when it's strangling Toos, it's doing that forever and she survives. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very true, actually. Oh, damn. First negative feeling about this. <laughs> it's fine. I'm still giving... I'm going to give this a crazy high mark. Like, a stupid high mark. I think there are negative things about this, though, but I... Okay, well, I, tell, I, t- t- tell us one of them. Oh, God, now I have to think of, of actually what is... <laughs> okay, I've got a question I, for you. Okay, do the question. Oh, no, sorry, now I interrupted you. No, 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 I was just collecting my thoughts. When we start this episode... We're still at the beginning of this episode. When we start this episode, or the serial, we get to see those freaking lethargic good-for-nothing humanoids just hanging out basically just reclining and eating grapes yeah post-orgy pre-vomit yeah exactly (laughs) and they're being served by robots who are clearly doing all the work so in fact i've got two questions for you question one would be why do you even need the people there And question two would be, were you ever so slightly annoyed by the fact that we open on them talking about, like, the laws of robotics and what the role of the robots are? But they all obviously know that. Like, they have been on this mining vehicle for years or months or however long. So to answer your first question... Go for it. Guy who is commander, who has a weird name... Uvanov. Uvanov, that's it. Yes. So once they've found the dust storm... Yeah. His claim is that humans have better instincts and will get a, a biggest surplus yield. of yeah. Uh, yield of, yeah, of the, well, we're, we're led to believe it's some kind of rare metal that they're, they're yeah, grabbing. Or, or, yeah, something. There, yeah. There's a mineral or metal or so you could, spice. There's spice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could, in, in theory, have the robots doing everything and they would get you maybe 20% of the stuff in it. Yeah. But then having the human crew there maybe gets you 80% of it. And they're all about money. Yeah. Money, 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 money. (laughs) I feel like you don't need all of these humans just reclining eating grapes all day, though. (laughs) Probably not. Have one dude who's in cryostasis and whom they thaw every time there's a a sandstorm. Or have them, like, pilot it from super duper far away. Yeah. Because it's eight months, I think it's mentioned. They've been out here. That is a crazy bananas long time. Yeah. Eight months. How many are there? Are there... Like, maybe six people? In that order, who do we have? We've got Ivanov, Toos. Yeah. Pool. Dusk, Pool. There's apparently someone called Borg. Borg is, I think... Okay, so there's... Hang on. There's an there's an Asian man. I think that might be Borg. He buys it super duper early. Wait, and, no. And the dude who gets strangled and or bludgeoned. <laughs> that might... And then there's a, there's a black woman as well. Yes. Who also buys so it quite early. She... She's Zilda. I'm now up to eight people, dude. Yeah, we got... So, just just on Wikipedia, there might be some extras, I'm not sure. Okay. So, Ivanov, Toos, Dusk, Pool, Borg, Zilda, Chubb, Cass. Chubb, that's right. Chubb is the guy who buys it in the beginning. Right. Yeah, so that's eight people. Yeah. That's a pretty good ensemble cast. If you're... I guess maybe you, you can't do with fewer than eight people if you're going to kill tons of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's a solid group of people. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people to have around. Yeah. Just for when the goods fly past. Exactly. <laughs> and you don't need all of them. You, it seems like you need one person. You need one person with the instinct to steer and go, like, let's grab that bit. And then, oh, I think there's a big pocket over there. 
yeah. and, and then the robot's just to maneuver That's one person. the mind, surely. That's 100% one person. Yeah. And it seems as though it's Uvanov or Yuvanov yeah. who does that, right? Okay, theory. It is a one-person job, but you can't convince one person to spend eight-plus months aboard this thing with nothing but robots. So the incentive is orgies in between sandstorms. <laughs> It's like the Big Brother house. You just fill it with people who you know are going to get horny under pressure. <laughs> okay. I've not watched Big Brother. Nor I. Since I, I assume this is what it's I about. I think I watched the, some of the first series. Okay. I don't remember many orgies, to be honest. Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was starting to think maybe, so if you had two people, then yeah. it gets weird if they don't get along. Oh, right. So then they, you need a third person. So you need a third person. But then two of them are going to partner up, and then the third person yeah, is going to exactly. feel lonely. So you need a fourth person so you can double date. But then what if they don't really match? So you need a fifth person just to hedge your bets. But then one person is going to be lonely, so you need a sixth person. <laughs> <laughs> so you bring a seventh person, because occasionally you want to be by yourself. <laughs> so- See, I was going to stop you at four and just say, and then you can have a shift pattern. <laughs> so four is a good number, and then you have two fours. And then you need an eighth person because that makes a human centipede. <laughs> Speaking of human centipede... Uh, no, I, no, not segueing from that. <laughs> I like that there's a scene in which Leela, who is brilliant, by the way. She is. Really, really like Leela in this one. I like that there's a scene in which she straight up drinks urine and does not flinch. Oh, not urine. Well, I mean, the guy says that thing has been, like, all the liquid that exists on this digger has been through the filters at least 12 times or whatever. And that's clearly just to iteratively filter out the flavor of urine. Well, it's just, it's been very purified through the filters a lot of times. Yeah. It's pure water. (laughs) (laughs) It's pure water. (laughs) Wait, hang on. Yeah, so should we talk about Leela? Wait, wait, wait. What was your second point? What was my second point? Oh, why do they talk about robots in the beginning? That that seemed like such just exposition. I actually quite liked that because the weird setup they have in the orgy room. Yeah. Where one guy is just lying down and getting a massage from a robot. Yeah. Like, that setup alone, like, destabilizes it. So the guy going, well, I heard this story about another bloke who had a robot massage him, and it ripped his fucking arm off. <laughs> ripped his fucking dick off. <laughs> the, the, the guy's there getting an HJ from a robot. <laughs> oh, dear. These are conversations you had before you even embarked on this journey. This is not the first time that you've seen a robot. This is not the first time that you've encountered someone who maybe has something against robots. But maybe it's the first time one of them really felt like they wanted to see if the robot could give them a good massage. They've, they've gone through the uh, the hand job phase. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's like, okay, we've done all the sex we can do with the robots. <laughs> what else can they do? <laughs> oh, you know what? My shoulder's a bit stiff, actually. But these incredible <laughs> green metal masks on them, no one's going to want to bone them. The person who says, like a friend of a friend of mine lost his arm, is that Paul? I think it is, actually, yeah. So maybe it's actually, now that I think about it, maybe this is setting up his robophobia. I guess maybe it's meant to be. Could it also be he's, like, probing how everyone reacts to robots? Seeing if anyone's super sympathetic with them, or... Because actually, who's the guy getting the massage? Is that Dask? I've forgotten, actually, who was... I think it might be Dask, yeah. Yeah. Dask, whose name I could... Like, I just could not register during these four episodes. The... The Dask part or the Taran Capel? 
No, Dask. So okay. in, in, I, I couldn't get Tara Capel ever. <laughs> in my notes, I have Dask. I have Dank. I have Dark. I have Gask. I have Gawk. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, I've just written, that is freaking clearly Gawk on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't recognize it. Is, is this when he was doing the control yeah. bit to the robot? Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't tweaked to his... Okay, to so him. when did you tweak that it was him? I don't think I ever really did twig. Like, we kind of got to the point where there's no one left. Oh, that's true. But I, I was expecting it to be Paul, actually. Really? Yeah. I knew at the start of part three because... Hang on, I wrote it down, I wrote it down. Part two ends with, oh, she's going to blow, oh my goodness. And part three starts with the doctor convincing Dask, Gok, to uh, cut the wires. Right? Oh, yeah. Gok goes to, like, fix it, and the doctor says, I wrote it down, I'm sure Dask, Dask, I'm sure Dask knows exactly where to look for the damage. Doc knows. Yeah. He's figured this out. I think it was just, I was never quite sure what the hell was going on with Paul. Like, this robophobia thing yeah. comes in quite late. Like, he's yeah. he's been all over the shop at this point. nowhere. And then... And his partner is a robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it seems he just he just freaks out because he sees the bloody hand of, of the robot that has its head smashed in. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's just, I don't know, the straw on the camel's back? It's just like, he's, he's seen so much shit working for the robot company. <laughs> Pick a different career. <laughs> if you're afraid of robots, don't work for big robot. But because at, at that point, I was actually because we we see staring at a robot that's got its head caved in. Yeah, maybe its brain, positronic brain or whatever. Yeah, has been removed, and then Paul is on the floor going, "Oh my god, no! <laughs> don't let it be this, no!" And I I thought, <laughs> would have bet money on it, he was gonna end up being a robot someone someone's done yeah, i thought so too a human robot brain swap yeah i also thought that maybe that would be i mean that something like that would happen but i did not um, deduce that with him i thought possibly a human was made to pretend to be a robot and maybe a robot was pr- pretending to be a human i thought d84 at a certain point i thought d84 might actually just be another human in robot uh, disguise yeah i think i had a brief moment of that as well like it took me a long time to figure out that oh no no that's a wrong theory <laughs> so you want to talk about leela yeah leela's really good i mean so this is wait is this this is a second adventure yeah one adventure ago i was a little skeptical just a teeny tiny bit skeptical in this one not at all i think there's still there's still things at the back of my head it's just like we have just seen her in a cave. cave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's still wearing the outfit. She will continue. Oh, thank God. <laughs> she, she, yeah, she is. Correct. Which, I'm sorry, they were not in a rush when they left the TARDIS. The doc never, like, think, I don't know where we are exactly. We could be in a totally different time frame. We yep. almost certainly are. It might be cold. It might be cold. <laughs> How's about you wear, I don't know, something like what I'm wearing? <laughs> Or even, let's go see what's out. Okay, maybe attire yourself more futuristically. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's, it's just, it's never addressed. It's just nope. like, yeah, carry on wearing that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, wait, what, what are you talking about? I, what, what's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be a problem for me. And in the last serial, I did say I might get distracted at times. And, and that it's, it doesn't seem in keeping with the show. I mean, I, I agree, still. This is not in keeping with the show. This is selling out a little bit to yeah. have some 
someone like barely wearing clothes on screen. But I welcome the distraction, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it is a minor point because you can ignore that thing. It's like obviously someone somewhere in the chain of production and BBC leadership or whatever, yeah, made a decision. Yeah, everyone else is just going along with it. Don't know if they're complaining, but they're going along with it. Yeah, exactly. But it hasn't impacted. But it's the seventies. It's going to sell. Like that's yeah. that's the idea, right? But it hasn't impacted on anything else. Like no. the the character of Leela is still doing what we would want a companion to do. That's true. She's stepping up to things. She's. You could also argue that the fact that she's wearing this outfit, or rather, the fact that she hasn't changed to something modern and futuristic, is a way of cementing that she is, in fact, primitive by comparison. At a certain point, she says, oh, my tribe has a saying about this, you know. She does. Wait, I, I wrote that down because I quite like that saying. It's something along the lines of, if you're bleeding, look for a man with scars. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go. Good saying. Sort of. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great saying from a weird tribe with only one female and a whole bunch of dudes who worship a chair. <laughs> <laughs> but I think... That's the other niggling thing, is that maybe that is a double whammy for the outfit, is that you can't forget that she comes from a primitive tribe. So it comes up now and again in the interactions, and obviously her tribe was a bit weird. A bit. There were, (laughs) it was, you know, a crash spaceship. We we were never quite sure if, if they were meant to have been actually not that far removed from the people that crashed and had minds erased, or if... I'm of the opinion that that happened. Zoanon restarted things, or, you yeah. know, whatever. Oh, dude, well done for remembering his name, by the way, Zoanon. Also, I'd totally forgotten. If I forget it, there's a pin to come back to Zoanon, <sighs> I think. Okay. You can get some benefit of a doubt that she's, she's not your normal tribes person. Like, we haven't gone back to grab early ho- Homo sapien from Earth, who would have no idea about anything, yeah. even complex language. Yeah, exactly. She does understand concepts of medicine. She She's seen doors before, even though she is cave-like, because they had a spaceship and there were doors on them, I guess. That's true. What I think I would but, like to see is when she encounters some of these you know, modern contraptions or futuristic contraptions, I'd like to see her just as a reflex, just instinctively begin to worship it. Or just go like, oh my goodness, there's a holy relic. Like, no, that's a tricorder, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's the niggle, is that it's just a, it's a little bit too clean cut of how easily she grasps gotcha. things. Occasionally yeah. it's thrown in there as like, no, Leela, we don't <laughs> believe in magic. <laughs> But we do believe in leather thongs, so keep that up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's confronted with autonomous human-like statues. I don't know what you would you would yeah, what, imagine that to be. Like, the idea of a robot. Like, what must she think that is? I mean, in the beginning, she's like, oh, how can you be so sure that they're safe? What is that? And I mean, she seems a little scared, but she gets over that in no time at yeah. all. Yeah. Like, she interacts with D84. Yeah. Yeah, that's in- true. Incredibly comfortably... And he, like, I gotta, I'm putting a gender on because the voice is gendered, but okay. yeah, he I think the basically face is also a man's face. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. But he basically attacks her at the start, like. Yeah. Well, he. Like, he it, it, to, to sort of silence her. Exactly. And, you yeah. Know, he's, he's not really trying to attack her, but, you know, that's the situation from her point of view. She's being attacked, and then that just goes away very, very quickly, and she, she trusts him, and. I don't know, we, we trust him, I think, because of that, and because then the doc latches onto that, and suddenly yeah. suddenly D84 is the star of the show, and my note at the end is, D84, no! 
That is almost exactly what I've written in <laughs> part four. <laughs> okay, we've done Leela. What about Doc? What about Doc, eh? Is he not good? I think he's... Oh. I think he is. He is on... in He's... I mean, good form. I think there was... There was something slightly missing. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to put my finger on it. Some of the sarcasm, maybe? He's not as snarky as he was in the last one. Maybe it's the sharing with the audience a bit. Like, we... Oh, you, do you miss know. that? I think I don't know if it's just it's not quite always pitched the right way. Like it seems like the doc is in control a lot in this. Yeah, and then he gets captured and stuff, which is kind of par for the course. Yeah, that's true. But it's I don't know. Occasionally, it did seem like maybe we could have known that Doc was more in control, and maybe we could have known or seen a bit more that makes you feel like, oh yes, all these people now trust Doc because there's always a point in Doctor Who where people meet the Doctor. They don't trust him. He does or she does some stuff. And then suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, it's now Doctor running the show. Yeah. Everyone looks up to the Doctor. Everyone trusts the Doctor. Everyone does what the Doctor says. And that, I think, happens quite a few points separately for all the different characters throughout this serial. I think occasionally it's just a bit too quick. You don't see a lot of it like progressing nicely. But This was happening way too abruptly. Yeah. I mean, it goes from you guys clearly murdered our orgy buddies to doctor what do we do next yeah i think it's it's that maybe it's that cliffhanger is it end, end of episode two episode two yeah, start exactly. of episode three and just because like, he has one piece of information yeah exactly it seems actually oh, now i'm trying to piece together what my reaction would have been because i don't really remember how i felt about this but it seemed at the time that only i'm just going to go ahead and call him gawk <laughs> that, like he was the only one who didn't immediately trust him yeah, quite possibly. Because he's kind of reluctant. I mean, Doc, I think, even suggests, before we get that line that I quoted before, the I'm sure Gok knows exactly where to look or whatever, Doc is the one who suggests, oh, I'll go and fix it. I'll go and sort this out. And Gok goes, no, 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 you, you deal with this. I'll sort that out. Yeah. And it almost seems like, no, I don't trust you. You need to be supervised. I Slash, think- obviously, he's he done it. You know. Yeah, I think maybe that was... Yeah, it's the start of episode three, the the whole of that scene. Because yeah. we get Dask doing that, yep, and then we get Toos, who I think hasn't uh, had an interaction other than, who the fuck are you, don't do that, at the previous episode, and then suddenly goes, oh yes, Doctor. <laughs> is this when he calls her right before she's about to, no, wait. No, this is immediately after the, the cliffhanger of... Oh, no, of, the, uh, the mine's going to explode. Right. So I think before then, there is another scene where he calls... D84 takes Doc to Frankenstein's lab. Oh, no, I think this... Pre- I think it's is that afterwards? That. Yeah. I, I think this, this is the first time that everyone's... Everyone actually starts chatting. Kind of lis- listening to the oh, doctor okay. and the doctor starts doing stuff. So then, then this must happen afterwards then. So, okay, I'm misremembering. So what I'm thinking of is a conversation where a D84 in Frankenstein's lab just goes, hey, Doc, check out this space microphone. You, oh, can, yeah. talk, you can talk to people on it. And he doesn't even dial. He just talks into it and it calls her. And she's in bed, just like writhing in pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Picks up the phone because how does that work? I mean, wait, does she pick up the phone? Does it she, ring? I think she has a wrist thing. Oh, I, I yeah, you're right. So it like, a noise or not. Bring, 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 bring. Yeah. She's like, oh, what's up? I'm busy. I'm busy. I was like, no, this is the doctor. You are in danger. And she immediately takes his word for it. Yeah. Like, what? okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to solve this? And that to me was too abrupt. Yeah. I think she's possibly one more than any, actually, that, that shifts quite quickly. 
Yeah. Because I think Yuvanov is still questioning stuff for a while. And obviously he has the interplay with Paul. Yeah. With the, the, and the Paul who, is just like, he's a lost cause at this yeah. point, isn't he? Because yeah. the whodunit thing, it seems quite confined to, I think, possibly only episode one, actually, where they literally want a room and they're <laughs> like accusing each other. And everyone's all, all suspicious. And, well, you're... you're Obviously taking too much of an interest in this thing. It must be you. <laughs> I was like, ah, but where were you? Well, you, I was with this guy. Oh, I don't know, actually. I went for a cigarette for like five minutes. He probably could have gotten done something from that point. Did you think it was a... Oh, wait, hang on. Oh, I know the answer to this. Because we get to see a, a human hand or humanoid hand put the little death markers in a robot hand. So we know oh, it's yeah. a humanoid. Because oh, I was going to ask you, did you think that maybe it was a robot behind everything? But it's not. It is Mr. What's-His-Face... Kovatembel, what's his name? Taron Kapel. That's the guy. Please explain his backstory to me. Uh, raised by wolves, wants <laughs> wolves to rule the world. I would 100% buy that. <laughs> Can we deconstruct this? Because I'm not entirely sure what happens. He was a roboticist. Robotonist. <laughs> <laughs> Who had some sort of nervous breakdown, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I fully got... That all the intricacies. Then was presumed dead? I don't... Was he presumed dead? Mi- I, I think maybe he was missing. Oh, okay. Mi- all right, I missing. But he, ha- he had some sort of breakdown, and it all had something to do with him creating an AI or something. Right. We then also had a weird tenuous connection to him having designed D84, and I thought, oh, D84 is that AI, unstable AI that he designed that caused him to go bonkers. Yeah, I must have missed that entirely. Or my brain is filling in gaps where it didn't pay attention. Because I, I wasn't sure beyond him being like a very prominent roboticist. Yeah. Robotonist. Robotonist. <laughs> or robo guy. <laughs> what his connection was to these particular robots, if there, if there was a connection. I, I can't remember. So if, he if definitely that was designed them. I'm pretty sure he designed okay. them. So this, this, this line of robots, the... So we had the Vok, the Super Vok, and, and the, the Dumb. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just cruel. Yeah, well, like, if he designed them, come on, <laughs> think about your naming. They can't speak, so they are dumb. Yeah. And <laughs> Vox can speak, v- Vox being for the vo- voice. Vocal, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Super Vok being the supervising vocal or, you know, voice. Or robot. they could have just been talking really loud all the time. <laughs> They could be Madonna Nobles of the Ugh. robot world. <laughs> Back to Kovatambel. So he goes, I'm going to hide. I'm going to change my identity. I'm going to hide aboard this one mining vehicle. Secretly build a lab that is designed to make the robot servants homicidal. Mm, yep. And then I'm going to kill everyone else who's in an orgy on this ship. What's the end game? Why is he there? Why is he not doing this elsewhere on a grander scale? What's going to happen when he's killed everyone on this ship or on this, you know, the the in the mine? I I don't think I quite grasped how many robots were on this ship, but it seems like there are quite a few. It seems like there are hundreds. Like this thing is humongous. Yeah. Which I guess I guess is maybe what we were saying earlier. We've been very flippant about you know there are eight humans here, but you only need one. This is this is a massive mine. Like you say, yeah. the, the the shot they do of superimposing the what the, do we want to say the control room. Yeah, like on, you know, this is which is a, a big one, room. like one percent. Yeah, and of, that is a the entire like two story set. Yeah, yeah. 
So, okay, we've got hundreds it's like potentially of robots. It's like freaking Enterprise. Like, it is gigantic. Yeah. yeah. So well, I, what is he going to do? But is this his idea of going off the grid, but with some resources, with some time, where... Because no one else is going to find this mining crew. No one's going to disturb this mining crew because they're out there to do a job and they're going to come back again. Yeah. Like, no one else is going to be out there. So he... Maybe if he plonked himself in a remote corner of some planet... Yeah. Someone might stumble upon him and find the 50 killer robots that he's surrounded himself with. Whereas this, he can... Do you think he's just know. insane and he just wants to kill everything that's made of flesh? Sub-question, do you think he believes he's a robot? I thought you were going to say, do you think he's right? <laughs> <laughs> like in this country at the moment, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this country's going down the toilet. Yeah. Podcast land, I'm sorry. Did you, I mean, okay, sorry, go ahead. I have no idea. Like, he's presented as someone who is unhinged. He's not meant to be a stable human, I think. Well, how did you react when you saw him in full robot face? I thought he looked awesome. He did I look awesome. Want want that makeup. <laughs> no. I can't believe he managed to do that himself. Oh, yeah. Oh, he probably didn't. He got a robot to do it. Oh, that's true. Oh, no, he couldn't ask a robot to do it, though. Well, maybe if he asked nicely. If he asked nicely. Yeah. But and I, and I'll uh, I'll give you a human face afterwards. But w- <laughs> but why do that? Does Doc make reference to this? Oh, maybe in like kind of saying. And I don't know if you think you're a robot effectively in a more eloquent doctor-like way. I missed this. Maybe I dreamt it. Could it be meant to be the opposite of robophobia? So we have Poole, who has robophobia. He wants nothing to do with them. He considers them so different to himself, that he fears them. Maybe conversely, this dude feels so akin to them that he loves them. They are his own, like, you know. I think... He's one of them. Th- yeah, there is meant to be some kind of crossing over. He do- He's not quite sure what they are to him and what he is to them and what he is in general, I guess. He, okay. he refers to them as his brothers. Yes, that's true. Throughout. We are told that he was raised solely by robots. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, see, I missed this. And now I, you're all raised by wolf. Wolves comment makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, I didn't just throw that in there for a lark. <laughs> well, I did. But. That was a good comment. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, unless I have been quite tired over the last few days, and that has coincided with me watching these these episodes. But I think they said that. I think okay. when they were talking about, is he like a Bruce Wayne dude who's raised by robot? I don't know. It, it seemed even more than that because the doctor was talking to. Oh, I can't remember. Possibly Toos, possibly even Zilda before she got killed. I'm not sure. But he, he's talking to one of the crew about Taron Capel. Yeah. And he is told, and I think already knew, that this guy had never been seen before. Like, there, there is no record of what he looks like. Yeah, you're right. And then I think I've arrived, uh, separated scenes, and maybe it's all with D84, but D84 then has a conversation with a doctor of the doctor's probing D84's kind of logic about how... <laughs> oh, I love the scene. How he might... Taron Capel could be on board. And I like, have failed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, T-84. Oh. Oh. Step aside, C-3PO. There's a new <laughs> robot in town. <laughs> He's by far my, my favourite character. Yeah, same here. Yeah, no question. Just looking up the actor, actually, who's Gregory de Polney, oh. which I... I don't really recognise... Well, not done a massive amount, actually. 
Given the fact that he's wearing a mask in this, I assume he's one of the, let's say, dozen actors at the BBC who are monsters and robots and giant aliens, that sort of thing. I don't know. He's, he's not credited with any other Doctor Who things. His biggest thing, according to Wikipedia, was being on Dixon of Doc Green as Detec- know that. Detective Sergeant Mike Brewer. I feel like uh, you go a couple of generations back and it was quite a big thing. Oh, okay. Oh my God. 22 series. What? 432 episodes. Sorry. Just, Sister podcast. Just <laughs> browsing uh, Wikipedia. But then brackets, 400 missing. Oh, crumbs. Okay. Yeah, we can't do a podcast about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it was... I, I've heard it referenced in other media. Uh, I think it was quite a big BBC show in the 50s to 70s products. So. Okay, I've, nev- fact, I've never heard of it. Finished the year before this serial. Yeah. So he maybe wrapped on that and was like straight into Doctor Who. Like, yeah, give right. me something. Come on. I'm really good at playing detectives. And I had a couple of episodes where I went undercover. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man. <laughs> Damn straight. And he was the man because he was awesome. He was. Yes. Agreed. How did you feel about the attempted subplot of Yuvanov having potentially killed Zilda's brother, who also suffered from robophobia? I think I mostly didn't register it. Like <laughs> it, it mentioned in like one scene, we get possibly an entire episode, and then it comes around again. As, like, oh no! Actually, he saved him. Yeah, we tried to, and it was the father that hushed it all up. Or, oh really? I think think it was something like that. Since we made other references to the robots being ood like ood, did you also feel that they? another homage to these robots may have been the robot angels on the Titanic. I totally know what you mean, yeah. They look very similar, right? They do, yeah. Oh, wait, hang on. I'm going to... I'm gonna. Okay, this I can find. I'm going <laughs> to find a robot angel Doctor Who. I'm going to Google this and do a side-by-side. Yeah, they look super-duper similar. Podcast land, I'll, I'll pop a side-by-side on the website. You know, we, we weren't sure if the people we see are aliens... But based on the robots, I would I'd be prepared to say that's a robot of whatever species Uvanoth and Co are, yes. and that's a robot of humans <gasps> in the same style. Oh, I like it. Yes, yes, absolutely. I guess like a robotic human keeping a lot of humanoid features. Yeah, is gonna go a certain way, but I would like to think there's a nod there. I think so. Yeah, yeah, because the, the robots in this like we not said it enough. They are gorgeous. They're fantastic. I I feel like hands down this is the best robot design. we've had so far. Well, like the design of anything, alien <gasps> robot. Oh my god! In, cla- in classic Doctor Who, I feel like the Draconians are pretty oh. incredible. Uh, okay, well I've seen. <laughs> Zygons look great. The giant squid dudes. I think the only thing that's in contention is yeah. the awesome effect they did for the Cthulhu-like phase of the seed pod. In <gasps> yes, the crinoids. Yeah, the crinoid. Yeah, that looked pretty great as well. Which is it was a totally different thing because that was like a miniature yeah model thing. This might be more impressive to me than the crinoid, just in terms of the craftsmanship that went into it. Yeah, but I think the draconians beat it. Okay, have you seen the draconians? I think I have, and I can't picture them again. You you're gonna show me a picture again, I'm, and I'm, I go like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna show you a picture, <laughs> and you're gonna go, wow, holy balls. Wow, holy balls. <laughs> they are pretty awesome. I think the, the only thing I could fault with the Vok robots yeah. would be their feet. The, oh, the... Which we get a couple of close-ups on. Tinfoil boots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's classic. 
because I kind of like that they're they're wearing just what looks like kind of normal clothing. Yeah, I think that I think that's maybe what makes them so interesting as a robot. Like they they are designed to kind of blend in, but obviously don't. And but very very stylized in the same way. But, yeah, but. Like I don't know, it's it's quite a really interesting design. I like that when when we see the robot autopsy at Taron Capel's pad, yeah, he takes the face off one of the robots, the thing, the the robot that he's about to operate on, yeah, and we see that there is nothing facial about the interior of it. Like there's it it isn't that's not the inside of a cranium or anything like that. It is literally just a whole bunch of like blinking lights and and yeah. mechanical stuff. But that doesn't have to be in the head region. That could be literally anywhere. And that seemed like, oh wow, you have really, really gone out of your way to make this thing that has nothing to do with with people, with with humanoids, look humanoid. Yeah. That mask is purely ornamental. It's just a cosmetic detail to make the orgy participants slightly <laughs> sort of less slightly more tolerant maybe. Slightly less uncomfortable to be surrounded by machinery. So they're more willing to say Yes, harder, Steve. <laughs> Rather than Steve. harder, Vive forty three. Harder. Wait, wait. No, so when I said tug me off, I didn't say I didn't mean <laughs> <laughs> This actually Reminds me of another very good scene. Uh-huh. So we, we've talked about the robophobia that Paul exhibits. Yeah. And he's basically out for the count after that diagnosis. But how the doctor describes robophobia to, I assume, Leela, I think it is in this in this scene. Oh, yeah. I, I thought was wonderful. Like, I'm pretty sure today we would, everything he was talking about, we would probably call the Uncanny Valley. Yes, exactly. Of you you reach a certain point. I'm probably preaching to the choir here podcast, and you all know about the Uncanny Valley. But no, go for, for it. For a couple of people that don't, it you know, that you reach a certain point with things looking like humans, and they come too close, but... Still, close. still far enough away that actually it becomes worse. Like yeah. there is a dip in how we appreciate the the likeness. So when it when it looks very very alien and robotic, we're quite okay with it. When it gets close to being us, but not close enough, mm. we hate it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, it's it's a nice little little scene that is maybe a minute, if if that and. I can't remember a single line of what the doctor says, but I enjoyed it all. I have a bit of trivia about what he says. Okay. I'm just going to read this off TARDIS Wikia. I'll continue calling it TARDIS Wikia. Robophobia, an irrational fear of robots, is at one point referred to as Grim Wade's syndrome. This uh-huh. was an in-joke reference to production assistant Peter Grimwade, later to become a director and writer on the series, who had bemoaned the fact that the, that the stories on which he was assigned to work almost always involved robots. Oh, <laughs> That's pretty great. That's nice. Do you want to hear another piece of trivia? Sure. Louise Jameson, Leela, nearly killed a dude while shooting this scene. What? <laughs> I saw a video where she chuckles about this herself. The scene where she throws a knife that sticks in the robot. Yeah. You know, the... I, I was really scene. hoping it wasn't going to be that scene. Okay. <laughs> so she throws the, the the knife at him, but that was take two. Take one, she was about to throw it, but accidentally threw it backwards. Oh, God. <laughs> and... I'm paraphrasing, but the way that she described it in the behind the scenes video, the yeah. the interview video, she goes, I just looked back and I saw this knife just swoosh millimeters from the cameraman's face. Oh, God. 
So then they do take two, and no one was on set except for <laughs> one trembling cameraman. <laughs> and according to Tardis Wikia, they had to use a blunt knife from that point on. Well, isn't that normally what you do? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, I'm going to remember to return to that pin now we're doing trivia stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Toos Mm -hmm. is played by Pamela Salem. Yes. Who we just heard (gasps) because she was one of the voices of Zoanon. No way. Yeah. Oh, very cool. She also apparently auditioned for Leela or had been considered. Oh, I don't know if she actually auditioned. But yeah, so she must have been obviously hanging around at the same time and they were like okay no we're gonna cast you straight away in a couple of yeah episodes. we really liked your audition we're gonna yeah add you to our books that's very cool yeah there are there are some references to like all your book stuff as well like i think this is becoming a bit par for the course <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're all on everything yeah if there, if there's <laughs> if there's a audiobook spin-off they do pretty well at grabbing the original characters yeah, yeah. Uh, actors because they don't do much else <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, I, I would do the same. Oh, me too. 100%. Toos might have been even worse at defending herself than Leela, by the way. Toos was quite feeble, really. She was such an archetypal damsel in distress. Most of what she... Not for the whole serial, but for much of it, all she does is cry for help. Yeah. There's, there's actually a point... I've got a note, and I can't quite remember all the setup for it. But right at the start of episode four, all the robots have basically gone out of stealth mode. They're just on the rampage. Yeah. One comes to her door. This is the the hand of a door moment. Yes, yes. Which I I think might have might have happened at the end of the the last episode. I'm not sure, but anyway, robot has already tried to come into her room. Yeah, managed to subvert that, and the she's now got the hand in the room with her, and the robot's on the other side. So that stupid like whatever it is, a vase or something, and she's hitting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've had the the worst attacking a robot <laughs> scene ever, and then for no explained reason. Like, we, we flip to a different scene, and then we flip back, and she opens the door. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Yeah, there's a robot out there oh, trying to kill yeah. me. Maybe oh, I can con- convince it otherwise, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then fast forward even further, and she is taught Malot's, like, Jean-Claude Van Damming alongside uh, Yuvanov. Like they have these bombs and they're gonna they're gonna yeah. go up, like on the counter rampage, but then they don't. We get to see you know plant one bomb on the door, which then blows up to create the perfect opening for them <laughs> to step through. But then they never use any more bombs. No, I think they just don't really get a chance, do they? Oh, maybe not. I forget how that plays out. Really, the the hand thing though. I I don't care that the robot doesn't open the door with the hand because it leads us to later on have. Leela throwing the hand at D84 and him saying, please do not throw hands at me. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I could very happily have D84 on board instead of K9. I was, I was about th- to think, you know, that character and that voice <laughs> versus <laughs> K9. K9. What? What would you like me to do, master? Uh, mistress? Go and die, K9. <laughs> oh, okay, master. <laughs> So there's one other thing about Leela, oh, okay, which crops up quite a lot through this serial, is how they're portraying her perceptions of things. Oh, right. Okay. And I don't remember the exact phrasing of it, but she basically, she hand solos it a lot. Oh. She gets a bad feeling about shit. <laughs> <laughs> and 
the doctor hand waves it quite often as just like oh it's fine you know nothing's gonna happen i think one at uh, one point literally leader goes oh there's something funny happening like I, I feel something bad's gonna happen and then like the mine crashes or something like that and they all fall about and doctor makes a joke about it but then i, th- I think it's probably like three or four times she has this kind of reaction she like senses something in the air or is she like counselor troying I'm not quite sure. It it seems to be... I don't know if this is going to be something that establishes more with her character. Maybe or it's like a warrior instinct. Yeah, because I, I don't... I kind of wondered if that's what they were trying to do, is that, well, she doesn't have the understanding of all the technology and time travel is going to be weird for her, but, but she has these hyper-heightened insect instincts and... That may very well be the case. I would welcome that as well, by the way. Because she can't contribute in so many other facets of a story that most companions can contribute. Due to her background, she clearly will never be asked to reprogram a computer or hack into a system or something along those lines. It would be great to have her have this extra skill that no one else on, you know, set has. I think I would just like a slight explanation for it. I don't even care if it's a hand wave. Because I think... I mean, would you rather have that or her be an action badass? I'm quite happy with both. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll have my cake and eat it, thank you. <laughs> yeah, because I think there's there's one time, at least, where she, I think, actually says, like, the air smell has changed. Like, she, she smells a change in the air, and I think possibly two says, like, oh, yeah, all the ventilation's going to sh- shut down. Oh, right. And, like, yeah. So there's, there's kind of, like, an attempt to say that you know her senses are picking up on things but most of the time it's it's this weird kind of sixth sense yeah it's the spider sense yeah which isn't really explained spidey sense yeah okay i I will keep an eye out for that in upcoming serials yes we should yeah okay so i had another thing i wanted to talk about as well it's a scene one of the very first scenes in fact in part one also involving leela or the doctor and leela wherein the doctor explains trans-dimensional engineering to her oh yes i think we may have had one prior scene in which the doctor explains it to a companion but this is as far as i recall this is the scene that is always referenced back to, like the the one with the two boxes. Oh, but how far right. away is it? I think he's actually done something quite similar in a in a previous. A Pertwee, I think, did something quite similar. But is that scene not wonderful? And does it not kind of explain it to you? <laughs> yes, and yes, I, I absolutely love loved that scene. Yeah, yeah. If you can keep that distance, but it's just here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's. Mind-bending, but simple. (laughs) Yeah. And it kind of makes you think about the interior of the TARDIS in a different way. Like, oh, well, they're just, you know, distance means a completely different thing. Distance is incredibly relative inside the TARDIS. More than it is anywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because I I don't think, you know, with mostly only having awareness of New Who, that's the way it's been explained before. I think you just go oh well it's compressed space i think possibly is what they try and explain it as sometimes or i'm not sure but it's no different a, a thing really it's still a bigger thing Inside. in a smaller thing yeah it's just explaining it with well we can we can already see a kind of idea of bigger thing and smaller thing looking the same i think the next time i see anything that happens and the, the next time i see the doctor or anyone else in the TARDIS going down a corridor into a different room, I'm just going to picture that room as a box that is slightly further away from the box that they just were in. (laughs) They're they're just 
three miles away. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's also a testament to, as you you pointed out before, these actors did not get on behind set, but they do have wonderful scenes together. They really do. I, I'm finding it so hard to imagine them not getting along in real life. Apparently they do now. Now they get along again. Yeah. But at the time, they didn't. So they, there is no indication of that in their performance. No, definitely not. Rice Rooney and Cheesecakes, shall we rate this? Let's have a go at that, man. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Okie dokie. Uh, it turns out I lost the index finger on tip of nose game, so I'm going first. I loved this cereal. <laughs> it's refreshing to have a whodunit on a mobile mine, and for at least an episode and a bit, I had no idea who done it. It's a decent mystery with a with good enough characters, not great characters or even profoundly elaborate characters, but good enough. It has an interesting, albeit utterly bananas plot, whose only real downfall is an ending that in more ways than one is given so little substance it is in fact lighter than air. Helium. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, my, my cocks were whirring, but I didn't quite get that. <laughs> I realised that wasn't a very good joke, I'm sorry. But I don't care. I was riveted by this serial from the get-go. This episode draws from legendary science fiction, bringing in elements of Herbert's Dune, um, Asimov's Laws of Robotics, and has in turn inspired swathes of New Who that, like I said, henceforth, I think I'm going to appreciate all the more for it. Talking about Ood and... Probably the next time I rewatch the Titanic episode, whatever it's called, Voyage of the Damned, mm. I'll appreciate the angels more. Leela is wonderful, though incredibly distracting at times. In fact, I might end up cutting this, but I was clearly excitable as I watched this because among my notes, scanning through them to figure out what to give this, uh, I found a yum, a non sequitur mention of legs. <laughs> <laughs> And a casual note of, quote, episode 2, 245, Rock Hard Nips. So, (laughs) 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 but never mind that now. Getting back on track, I was pleased to see a a black woman and an Indian man in the cast. Baby steps, I know, but still 1970s BBC. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. I loved much of the writing. The Doctor, of course, incredible on form, and D84 in particular. We both loved him. But I'm going to finish on production value. Uh, he did a hand movement when he said finish on there. <laughs> the sets, the miniatures, the composite shots, outfits, headgear, the robots. Holy moly, I am in awe of this production. Bravo, BBC. Standing ovation. I love this serial. I'm going to rewatch it. I know I'm going to rewatch it. I'm going to do this a 4.6. Oh, I was close. I was, I was thinking 4.5. <laughs> right, Jim. Let's hear it. Oh, God, how do I follow that? It was emotional and prepared. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I super love this hero as well. Mm-hmm. I'm turning on my slightly critical brain a bit more. So I, I'm probably going to list a few things now that are negative points or just kind of okay. points. <laughs> and I'm going to try and override that by just gushing at the end. But we'll see. Okay. If that, see if that plays out or not. So... <laughs> I think there are some negative things. We've brushed up on a couple of things already. There are some things I didn't get to. We do get at least one occasion where just good fortune saves the Doctor. So right on in episode one, the fact that the shutters close is because 
they stop mining because a death has occurred already. And if if that hadn't happened, Doc and Leela were basically going to get obliterated by a storm. Oh, okay. Yeah, there there right. was no there was no other card to play. The TARDIS has been zipped away. It's just like, yep, yeah, game over. So it's luck that we even have this serial. Doc and Leela could have been dead in the corner of the room for the That's rest true. of it. <laughs> Speaking of Lena, we get her just wandering off at one point, which it doesn't come across as her being adventurous and trying to solve things on her own. It just it just looks stupid. Like her and Doc are just wandering along and then she goes, oh, what's down there? <laughs> and then they're just, you know, they're separated for a while. and It's just a bit weird. We have some incredibly bad acting when oh, I forgot Zelda blobs as she goes into, I think it's Yuvanov's room and finds out she thinks that he killed her brother or something and oh my god it's just horrendously bad and poor <laughs> <laughs> that's probably better than it was you know in podcast land you didn't see that the, the gesticulation the face work that went accompanied that no jim you do bad acting really well <laughs> thanks i've always wanted that as a backup career <laughs> We do have the terrible way that this threatening robot uprising is portrayed as slow walk. You cannot escape. Slow walk. You cannot escape. Etc. 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 Like it feels kind of threatening. The robots are killing people and that, but what we see it portrayed as is a bit pathetic, just so that the people we care about can escape from situations. And we have one of the most abrupt endings I can ever recall. It's it's just walking down the corridor, leaders saying to the doctor, uh, do you think we should stay and help them out? I was like, nope. No, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're done. <laughs> Off now. And that's literally what happens. They get them tired, it's gone. 20 seconds, I'd, I'd bet. <laughs> And they're materializing straight into another adventure, clearly, right? They're not, we're not going to see, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting your mini, but like, they're not going to have an, any downtime between this abrupt ending and the abrupt start, inevitably, abrupt probably, start no. of the next adventure. No, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the way the Doctor rolls. Yeah. Lila's <laughs> going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So I have some questioning, middling things. Of I, did, I didn't understand why the Doc was surprised at the start. They landed inside a metal container. Like, he lands in spaceships all the time. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't get why this was a thing at, you know, at the opening. I don't understand how there's a cliffhanger resolved by the Doc apparently having a snorkel. Or at least... <laughs> A cane or something he can use as a snorkel. Where the hell did that come from? Was that what he used to blow a dot? No, because that was a In Matrix dot. Dream- yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Ignore me. I don't know. I, I, I didn't recall seeing it before or after. It's just in this one scene. He has a snorkel. Okay. Uh, we talked about twos being stupid and just opening the door up. Like It just yeah. seemed like it was written in because that needed to happen. It wasn't like a sensible thing for the character to do. And just a general interplay between... I'm going to call them humans. We don't know if they're humans. But the, the humans in this, this episode, they go from orgy characters to just suspicious of everyone to, I don't know, just do plistus to complistus to... I don't know. It's just all over the shop about who who they love, who they hate, and, you know, what they should be doing, what their purpose is, or anything. I don't know. Just didn't, well, didn't quite get that. But, oh, here we go. Oh, my God. I super love the robots. They are so gorgeous. The sets, yeah, okay, the models are a little small, but the sets in the whole are general, the production level in general is just amazing. The effects are amazing. I, for once, I'm not, I'm not really into the point of view stuff, but the point of view of the robots, like the effect they put on that, I oh, thought was yeah. incredible. Yeah. 
especially for 1977 BBC television, like uh, I noted before, we're in the year of Star Wars. We haven't quite got to Star Wars, but... Oh, that's true. Yes. So, you know, there's a, a new yardstick coming... But I think, you know, for the time, this is pretty impressive. We have Leela being an incredible companion character. She's a cave person who is handling this with a blum. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, doing productive things. She's working out the best things to do in certain situations. She's using her brain to hide into, like, the ro- robot alcoves. And, you know, we get to see how she's reacted to something versus how Paul's reacted to something. And, you know, it, it's an interesting interplay of, like, this is this is a strong character that we're going to enjoy watching i feel we get some lovely scenes about you know doc explaining robophobia and that kind of thing and we get d84 who is just wonderful and awesome and very sad but yes he dies but yes he gets to have a little sacrifice moment of saving other people as well okay but wait hang on. what are you gonna give this we just, we just shed a little tear for d84 oh uh, yeah yeah no I'm, I'm gonna pour out some of my vodka yeah. on the floor <laughs> <laughs> most of the negative things are niggling they really are I watched this with much enjoyment. So I can't go quite as high as Leon, I think. I'm just going to give us a nice round 4.0. Oh, I had a 4.2 for you. Oh, nice. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Oh, I love it. Listener minis? Yeah. <laughs> Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shamalama ding dong. We have arrived at the Listener minis section of this episode, and... We're going to be here for a while. Yeah, whoa, mama, we got eight listener minis for this one. This is clearly uh, <laughs> as legendary a serial as, as we were saying. Perhaps in future, if we get this many minis, we need to not read everything in full. Maybe we need to... I don't know what we need to do, because... <laughs> well, I don't know, whatever. We are going to read them all in full, though. Yeah, because we love you that much. Yeah. But occasionally... And because you've been really good about the 250 word limit. You have. You've been awesome. But in the future, we reserve the right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's 11 o'clock as we're reading this, and we're about to go into eight listener minis. Correct, Mundo. All right. We're going to start with Paul Forber. Hello, Paul. Hello there, Paul. Reading your mini in full for a change. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 250 words. Nice one. Paul Forber starts, The Robots of Death was an Agatha Christie mystery employing Isaac Asimov's laws of robotics, which the villain broke to make the story science fiction. The Doctor and Leela's arrival aboard the Sand Miner, a craft gathering minerals on a storm-ravaged desert planet, added suspects for the first murder as the idea of a pre-recorded cry kept everyone from determining who could alibi whom. Once the Doctor and Leela ceased to be suspects, they helped Poole follow red herrings while the body count rose. Poole's investigation ended as he discovered robots were the real killers and suffered an attack of robophobia. Grimwade Syndrome, named for floor assistant Peter Grimwade. He subsequently directed and wrote for the show, as well as novelizing novelized some stories. Poole continues, Leela was great in this story, wielding her knife after the Doctor told her she would not need the gun he developed in the previous story. She un- uncovered undercover agents <laughs> and instinctively sensed the sand miner being sabotaged. The doctor of course took charge of the investigation interacting with a robotic agent to learn about the villain who ordered the robots to kill the crew off one by one. He saved the survivors and ruthlessly engineered justice as the villain was killed. Chris Boucher wrote the robots of death tightly plotting the mystery well and making excellent use of Doctor Who's regular cast. The story's science fiction elements blended beautifully into mystery, which resolved not only the murders, but the plot's red herrings. 
Indeed, a Rooney, Paul. Nice one. Thank you very much. Going forward, we would really, really appreciate it if you sent us more review, less synopsis. We've had this conversation before, Paul. Yeah. At the very least, slap a rating at the end of it. Come on. Exactly. Thanks, Paul. People of Podcast Land, say hello to Paul online. He can be found at Wordsmith Paul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, we've got Chris Dabbs Paddock. Hello there, Chris Dabbs. What up? Chris Stapps starts, I think I may have said this about Genesis of the Daleks, but this is the single greatest classic Who story ever. Whoa. This is absolutely, unquestionably, the greatest set ever built for Doctor Who. It's beautiful disco art deco, and if I could live there, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Additionally, the story takes itself seriously, which is typically a recipe for slip-ups, but they absolutely nail it, and it's a thrilling Agatha Christie in space mystery. Can you believe this is Leela's second story? She fits in immediately. Absolutely. Things that I'm not taking points off for. (laughs) The stunk knife throw. The bicycle reflectors. I'm not even sure what that is. No, I'm not sure what that is either, but I love the spelling of shdoink. <laughs> the robophobia freakout scene. Despite all that, Kristaps is saying he will give this five out of five. <laughs> all caps. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, love it. I, clearly, so do you, Kristaps. Excellent mini. Thanks very much. Next up, we have... Trenton Bless. Hello, Trenton. Why, hello, Trenton. Trenton starts. I very much liked Robots Are Death. Mm-hmm. I mean, robots are a sci-fi staple. Although robots have been done to death on this show, and at times done very poorly, refer to the Dominators and the Crotons. <laughs> yes. This is definitely one of the best ones. Oh, I beg his belief that the Dominators... Crotons, or the, what were they called? The Quarks were the robots of the Dominators. And these dudes are in the same universe. That's insane. (laughs) Uh, Right, sorry, Trenton goes on. The robots themselves look amazing. They're sleek and modern looking. I bet if someone really wanted to, they could make a robot to look like one of these. Their voices are great, too. And the twist villain was great. I didn't think this individual was the villain until they came out, dressed in full robot makeup. Well done. Not all the casting is canny, though, says Trenton. Brian Crusher seems to believe he's in the Sweeney. Why don't you shut out of your mouth? <laughs> Did you say shit out of your mouth? <laughs> shut out of your mouth. And Tanya Rogers' breakdown scene... Uh, lacks conviction, shall we say. Yeah. (laughs) I think, continues Drenton, that unlike Sarah Jane and the Fourth Doctor, Leela and the Fourth Doctor don't really click. Oh, interesting. I like Leela, I really do, but the Doctor can be so mean to her sometimes. Maybe it's because he didn't intend for her to tag along or something, but that relationship that Doctor and Sarah had is not here. Still, says Drenton, this story is fantastic. I loved it. My dad loved it. My neighbour's cat even loved it. Oh, clever cat. Definitely earns it 4.0 out of 5. That's a very good rating. I'm sure you'd agree. Why? Yes, I must must say that is an amazingly good score. (laughs) Excellent, Mini. Thank you very much, Trenton. Thank you, Trenton. People of Podcast Land who are not Trenton, follow Trenton online. He can be found at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two what's, Jim? Fingers of robot hands snapped off into backwards facing... (laughs) No, I've lost this one. (laughs) (laughs) Two of those. Yeah. 
Next up, we've got Peter Zunich. It is the Zoomeister himself. Hello, Peter. Peter starts, there are those stories that turn it up to 11. Then there are those few that turn it up to 17 and a half. Whoa. I love the intriguing concept. Love the instantly appealing characters. The instantly understandable setting. The pace, the sets, the effects, the garish makeup. The ending, the robots. The robots, and especially the robots. (laughs) (laughs) There's smashed mechanical heads. There's the planet Arrakis, yes. (laughs) There's unobtrusive music. All perfect. Forget the grandstanding speeches, says Peter. These guys need only one sentence. Seriously, how many memorable one-liners can you fit into a story? Please do not throw hands at me. <laughs> or crystals from a snowflake, one by one. That was the the, the brand uh, oh, laser, laser oh, thing. Oh, yes, yeah yeah. yeah, 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 you're right. This is all D84. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, back to, back to Peter. Blake 7 couldn't have done it better. The directing is off the charts. The staging and continuous movement, the camera angles, there's something for everyone to do in every scene that reinforces that they've been at this for months. With the exception of one embarrassingly forced crying scene, the acting is totally transparent. You don't see actors playing roles, you just experience people living their lives. My only other beef? Next time use real helium, guys. There was no shortage back then. You need to have a word with... uh, What's her face? Louise Jameson. Why can I never remember her <laughs> name? You need to have a word with Louise Jameson because clearly she fibbed in that behind-the-scenes video. Uh. So wrapping up Peter's review, if you were to sit down with someone who didn't know Doctor Who, this would undoubtedly be a story they would be able to enjoy. Before the Ood, before the Clockwork Men, oh, yeah. there were the Robots of Death. And it's utterly baffling that they didn't become the staple of the show. I just watched it. And I miss it already. Yours sincerely, raised by robots, SV 4.9. Oh, a marvellous rating. <laughs> <laughs> and a marvellous mini. Thank you super duper much, Zunemeister. Uh, Podcast Land, you may not be able to follow Peter Zunich on Twitter, unless you uh, knock on his front door and convince him to join Twitter. But what you can do is you can read his articles in the Who Back When article archives. Head on over to whobackwhen.com. You'll find Peter. He's all over the place. He's awesome. Next up, do you know what this calls for? Is, is this a... A particular theme? <laughs> New review, man. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Doctor in Waiting. I think that's what you want to go by. So just to be on the safe side, I'm not going to mention your name. <laughs> yes, Doctor in Waiting. Thank you. Hello. hello, hello, and welcome welcome aboard. Doctor in Waiting starts, dear Leon and Jim. Oh, hello. And Drew and Marie. Oh, hello. Firstly, oh, should I read? Shall I really? Oh, I really want to read this out loud. Firstly, thanks for continuing to create such a wonderful and entertaining podcast. You're welcome. Discovered you in late, and thank you, discovered you in late 2018 and have been doing a lot of catching up. So sad that Leon had to do so many classic who's solo and so glad Jim now seems to be stable wingman for the classic series. If you ever think you're going to falter from your task, alcohol can be supplied. (gasps) If, If we're just struggling a bit... Can we get alcohol as well? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Send alcohol. <No>. Yes. <laughs> if if you're ever in the Oxford area, doctor in waiting. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Anyway, on to the review, he says. 
Robots of Death is a fan favourite and part of the classic Hammer Horror era of Tom Baker's Doctor. Often compared to an Agatha Christie who done it. Spoiled by the title. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our hero, companion, and humans are trapped within the confined space with robots, any and all of whom could be our killer. Perhaps a little more peril could have been created by not having one of the most brightly lit sets of Doctor Who history. <laughs> Perhaps glowing red robot eyes on a dark set would have created a moment of terror. Though Toos being trapped in her bedroom with the killer at her door, she can't defeat is a great scene. Mm-mm. Tom Baker, he continues, is on fine form and Leela is presenting a strong female role model, albeit in a male-pleasing outfit, broadcast originally directly after Final Score on Saturday evenings. What's Final Score? Is that a game show, I take it? I think that might actually be the final scores of the football. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> That's the kind of thing they do on Saturday evenings. They give you the football scores. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, sorry, Doctor in Waiting. I know nothing about sports. Perhaps I look at this serial with those rose-tinted glasses to find any significant flaw. The helium trick seemed a disappointingly childish ending to an otherwise great story. Yes, agreed. If voices are all the robots recognize, what happens when a member of the crew gets a cold? Very good point. Yeah. And why has Taron Capel painted his face if voice recognition is all that is required? Because he's a loon. And Doctor and Waiter finishes with, in all, another great Doctor Who children's story with a body count higher than Rambo. <laughs> 4.5 corpse markers. Out of five. Regards, Doctor in Waiting. Awesome. Thank you very much. Fantastic mini. Uh, welcome Lovely aboard. Yeah. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Come. Warm yourself by the fire. And more, please. Have more vodka. And send us alcohol. <laughs> Next up, Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Things I like, starts Michael. The crew's wacky headgear in order of favourite, Two's Golden Mohican, Yuvanov's weird pharaoh hat, and Zilda's fish fin swim cap. Good order. Mm. Next up, Nutty Taran Capel. Loved his robot cosplay at the end. I didn't realise he was the bandy when he was banging on the door begging for help. I felt thoroughly betrayed. The mining sand crawler miniature and set looked awesome. An ingenious low-tech solution to defeat a baddie. Rare in who? Oh, interesting. D84's sacrifice. No, why, God, why? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and the last thing that Michael liked was the Vok robots were, at times, deeply unnerving. Michael then continues with some boofs. First boof. The Vok robots were, at times, deeply rubbish. Like the one listening at the door. Yes, yes. Or having inane dialogue to mansplain the plot. Or some robots being glaringly shorter than others. Aww. <laughs> they ran out of metal. <laughs> Actually, interesting side point. There's like a dozen actors that voice the robots. You would think <gasps> robots of the same make. Have means the same voice chip. Yeah, one, one actor, but... No. You know what? That I didn't that didn't register for me. No, I don't think I really noticed that. Very cool. The next beef. Retcon. The robots going full on Westworld, developing self awareness and turning on human uh, and turning on humanity. Sorry. I, I read that originally as turning on <laughs> yeah, humanity. They turn me on. <laughs> Rather than just being reprogrammed. Trivia, as Michael, the aftermath of events are investigated by the Seventh Doctor in audio adventure Robophobia, which I haven't listened to, but I assume is awesome. 
Michael, you haven't listened to a <laughs> seventh doctor audio adventure. Oh dear. How dare you? <laughs> and in summary, says Michael, a decent Agatha Christie who done it. Albeit spoiled by the title. Which with good sets, creepy robots, and exciting hats. And Michael gives this a rating of 3.3 out of 5 people being horribly strangled by murderous robots. <laughs> Fantastic mini as always, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Michael can be found on Twitter also, namely at bad underscore movie underscore club. No more underscores there. No. Correct. Done. <clears throat> nope, done. Next up. No, we're done. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, wait. Not, not more underscores. Okay. Yeah, next up we have... Paul Waring. Hello there, Paul. Why, hello there. Paul starts. Robots of Death is another entry in my top ten stories from Classic Who. Baker is still on top form. Jameson is settling in as Leela. And the guest cast put in a flawless performance. There are some memorable pieces of dialogue, including the Doctor's line that if people can see you mean them no harm... They never hurt you. Well, nine times out of ten. I can still quote the insults about the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth and the brain, although I've never deployed it, despite temptation in some tedious meetings. <laughs> Go on, next Monday. <laughs> Paul continues. <laughs> We're going to get this guy fired. <laughs> Don't blame me, Paul. It's just a mere suggestion. <laughs> Paul does continue, though. The design of the titular robots is fantastic, especially considering the budget. Though if you look closer, you might spot the Marigold washing up gloves on their hands. Oh, no. I'd love to see them back in the new series, although their slow speed and lack of projectile weapons means they work best in a confined environment. True. Yeah. They could make it work. Yeah, sure. The only criticism I can make, says Paul and it's a trivial one, is that attentive viewers may guess from his clothing or barely disguised face that Dask is the crew member instructing the robots to kill. I didn't notice the first time round, though, and in future viewings, there was no surprise to be spoiled anyway. Yeah, very minor criticism, given all that. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, though, says Paul, this story is so good, but if my review was any longer, I'd run out of superlatives. (laughs) I'm happy to watch it any time. Five out of five. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. (laughs) Amazing stuff. Thank you there, Paul. Thank you very much. People who are not Paul, follow Paul on Twitter. He can be found at P. Waring. Thanks again, Paul. Next up. Hey, Jim, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Is it my beers nearly out? No, the other thing. Oh, the other thing. Is it it time for? A second. New review. That's right. Welcome aboard, Derek Moore. Hey there, Derek. Wow. We're super, super glad to have you. Do you want to start this one off, Jim? Sure. Derek says, hello there. Hello there, Derek. Hi. I've been listening for about a year and really enjoying the podcast. Oh, yay. Robots of Death is one of my favorite Fourth Doctor series, primarily because of the creepiness of the emotionless, non-moving robot faces seemingly hiding sinister intent. And because Leela kicks a ton of ass in this episode. Oh yeah, she does. I grew up on Doctor Who on PBS in the States in the early 80s, and this was always in the episode rotation. This is one of the few Doctor Who DVDs I own, just because I love it that much. Plus, a David Bowie lookalike in full makeup. What could go wrong? And Derek gives this... (gasps) 
4.5 out of 5 creepy robot faces. Awesome. Oh, amazing. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I, I can't believe that. Yeah, and I'm very glad you put in the David Barry reference. Actually. Yeah. It's, it's so on the nose. Yeah, it absolutely is. It didn't dawn on me either until yeah. now. Nice one. Thank you so much. That is an excellent, excellent mini, Derek. More, please. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just name you Danger Mouse, just because of your initials. Oh, okay. <laughs> Derek Moore. Derek Moore. Would you believe it? I've never seen Danger Mouse. Drew's going to hate you. This was fantastic. We had eight minis, not all of which, but most of which are very, very high. Yeah. Super duper high. Uh, but in Ridgeway, we're above four. Yeah. Paul Forber didn't give a rating. Hint, hint, Paul, for next time. Hint, hint. But on average, this is a super-duper loved episode. <laughs> yeah, this this is a great episode. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, man. I have enjoyed the crap out of this. Been a really, really nice chat, dude. Yeah. What have we got coming up next? Let's have a look. Oh, next up, we have a new episode. We're really, really creeping up to the... Uh, 50th anniversary. So next up, we have the name of the doctor. It's uh, Pete. It's Pete? Oh, the, the <laughs> name of the doctor. Oh, tell me, I'm sorry. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> and after that, we have a classic Who serial, namely... The Talons of Wen Chiang. <laughs> the finale of this season. It is indeed. And ahead of which... Oh, I'm, I, I'm really sorry, Podcastland. I, I, I haven't been very active on the, the blog front, on the article archives on, on whobackwhen.com. But that's because I've been working on a new website for it, which will give the blog uh, a lot more exposure. But I was going to say, ahead of the Talons of Wen Chiang, we're going to be uh, dropping a very interesting article about the Talons of Wen Chiang and about... Ooh. Well, about racism in, in classic Doctor Who. That seems incredibly well-timed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, I'm sorry worried about this. <laughs> no, no. In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter, I believe. Uh, Jim, do you have an account on, in the Twitter sphere? On Twitter, yes. You can find me at Jimmy the Who. Uh, Jimmy the what now? No, it's, it's definitely Jimmy the Who. Right, okay. Yeah, that's, that's the one I registered. <laughs> what now was a consideration, but I went with Who. Branding, you know. I, I apologize. I wonder if I'm just confusing matters and there are some listeners who are going out looking for Jimmy Wait, the What Now. Should I be grabbing Jimmy the What Now? Yes, do that and just like add a little redirect or something. <laughs> <laughs> and you can say hello to me as well. I'm at Ponken, P O N K E N. High five me online. I will high five you right back. Neck knob backwards. <laughs> Until the next time. Thank you so much. You've been a lovely audience. Rock on and cha-chao. Do enjoy the rest of your week. I hope it's awesome for every single one of you. <laughs> See ya. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, 
monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who like when?